Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Hackers episode 23. I'm Gemma Evans. I'm a journalist and presenter here in the UK, and this is my series devoted to getting inside the minds of some of the most pioneering figures in health and wellness. My guest today is nutritional therapist Nicola Moore. If you are watching the video version of this episode, you can see her smiling next to me now. Um, for the next half an hour or so, we're going to be discussing how to optimize female health and nutrition at the age of 40 and beyond. But before we do, I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about Nicola's background. Uh, not only is she a highly experienced nutritional therapist, uh, she sees clients one-to-one, -one, and she's also an educator, a speaker, a lecturer. She trains nutrition students um, she's part of the senior academic team at the Institute for Optimum Nutrition, which is where we are now. Thank you for having us here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. She also has a special interest in gut health, immunity and hormones, yeah. all of which we're hoping to touch on, even if briefly, in the next half an hour. So, Nicola, thank you very much well, for having us for here, me. like I said. Um, full disclosure, everybody, I used to be one of Nicola's nutrition clients, and this is the first time we've seen each other in years. Yes, so yes. it's a bit of a catch-up for us as well, even though we're being recorded, but you're all welcome. <laughs> um, and the reason I wanted to discuss optimising female health over the age of 40 mm. is because I know that the majority of your clients are females over 40. Yes, yes. And so... To, to get going, I wonder what is it about the age of 40 that makes us all think it's a milestone and everything changes mm -hmm. at that point in a woman's life? Yeah. Well, I've, it's hard to say, and every client has their own story, and everybody has their own journey in health and how they've come to where they've come to. But what I, make, I see a lot of in clinic is women who reach 40 or beyond, and they have been having health niggles often for years but they get to a certain point where they think actually things are either getting worse or I'm now thinking of the future and they really want to just get things sorted. So it becomes like a, a kind of crunch point. I think so and also for women in their 40s of which I am one um, we've grown up in a generation you know we were part our formative years were in like the 70s and 80s when there was all the fat phobia and margarine and all of that and so our so everybody was afraid of eating I th fat yeah fat I, I think foods. that I think that has formed a lot of the um it's it's been part of our formative years and so a lot of women that I see and men as well are confused with some of the messages and especially with women there's there's the dietary messages that they've been brought up with and we've also been brought up with the message that we can have it all i think we're one of the first generations of women where we really have been told you can have a career you can have a family everything can be perfect and a lot of us are striving for that but i don't actually think that's realistic mm. to, to, to do that and have it all and to be healthy. So a lot of the women that I'm seeing are actually now suffering a little bit because A, they don't know what to eat, they're confused, they've got health problems going on under the surface and they're potentially not putting themselves first because they've either been working on their career or they've got families. Um, and it just, it really does get to a crucial point where people would just want to know what do I eat and how do I feel better? And at that age, have we got 
some biological changes that are taking place too. I mean, we hear a lot about the menopause and the perimenopause. What is the perimenopause? Yeah, so the perimenopause is a stage that happens. The menopause is actually once your periods have stopped. So if you have had a full year without periods and you're of the age where... Um, you know, your your late 40s, 50s, it's, it's highly likely then that you have transitioned through the menopause and you are postmenopausal. The perimenopause is the years leading up to that. And that can actually start from your 30s. Um, and it can be very, very subtle, but there are nuances and changes in the hormone profiles that you see. Um, and it really is to do with fluctuating levels of estrogen, peaks and troughs. So it's not that generally speaking, as we get older, our estrogen levels, which is the hormone that's involved in what we consider to be our reproductive system, um, but it actually is way more complex than that. And estrogen has way many jobs than that in the body. It's not that that, that hormone just generally declines over the years. It will have peaks and troughs. And with that, come changes in symptoms and one of the things that I'm really interested in is the role that estrogen plays in the immune system um, and also the role estrogen plays in your brain chemistry and things like that so often as you're transitioning and you're starting to have hormonal fluctuations that can be the trigger point for health concerns and you might see it from the digestive system or emotionally or whatever. So your clients are coming to see you because they know you're a nutritional therapist and they're looking to food or a better way of eating to help them with their symptoms. Yes. So how how can food help us with things like you just outlined, like the hormonal fluctuations mm. and the changes in perhaps brain and mm. mood and, and gut function? Yeah. Well, there's, there's foods that you can eat that can support your hormones and how you manage hormones. So it's not just about how you produce hormones. It's about how your body processes the hormones once they've been made and that's another thing that's quite useful for women to understand you produce estrogens for example you can produce different types of estrogen as well there's not just one estrogen mm. and when they've been produced they go and um, they travel around and exert an effect on a tissue their job is to trigger something the growth of something yeah. usually um, but then when that job is done the estrogen doesn't just stay in your body it has to be eliminated from the body and it's processed in a particular way. And you can have different ways in which the estrogen is processed. And sometimes if we're not eating a diet um, that's rich in certain vegetables, for example, okay. you might process your estrogen in a way that seems to be linked to some of the problems we see with estrogen, especially transitioning through the menopause, like increased risk of breast cancer, for really? example. So is, it, so is there a certain power within vegetables that helps to flush out estrogen, all the estrogen that we don't need? Well, what it seems to, what, the, what some of the com compounds in vegetables seem to do, and especially um, cruciferous and students that I work with, like cauliflower, know, my obsession. Cruciferous. I love yeah, cruciferous. Yeah, yeah. So cauliflower, is broccoli cruciferous? Broccoli, kale, Ca cabbage. Cabbage. Oh, I love those. Yeah. Brussels sprouts, coming up to Christmas. Yes. Um, those vegetables contain these compounds in them that help to steer estrogen down a path where it's metabolized in a safe and effective way. So those vegetables are really, really good. So often with clients, I might be saying to them, okay, I think one of the things we should work on is increasing your levels of cruciferous vegetables and it's my job to make that appetizing for a client yeah. and to look at how how actually what does that actually look like because it's really easy to write down on a bit of paper increase your broccoli mm -hmm. but the reality is is how do you do that 
How, how, what does that look like in somebody's day with their lifestyle and making it tasty for them? Do you think there is such a thing then as eating for your age? So should a 40-year-old be eating significantly differently to a 20-year-old? It's hard to say. Um, I think the other thing to say is that nutrition science and science in general is changing so rapidly all of the time. And um, I really don't think we have many answers when it comes to, to nutrition and especially things like the gut. So what we do know is if you're thinking about what you're eating in your diet, if you have, if you know there's a risk of your hormones going up and down, your estrogen levels, if you know that there is a risk around the ages of you know, 40 onwards, then I would say it's a sensible um, insurance policy to make vegetables the hero of the food that you mm. eat and to and to really work if you're interested in being healthy it can be a bit of a job but it's it's about taking it seriously so it's not a birthright to be healthy yeah. so we do have to sometimes take a bit of responsibility for thinking okay how am I going to get these vegetables mm. in um, but the other thing is as we get older our digestive system changes slightly so we do know that um, for example as you get older, and 40 is possibly a bit young for this, but you know, as you're traveling through, and if you're particularly stressed, it has an impact. Things like the stomach acid that your stomach produces, which is really important for helping you process things like proteins in your food and also liberating minerals from your food, the levels of hydrochloric acid that you produce can decline. So the processing and the digesting and the absorbing of food may be more challenging to somebody as they get older. And if they're under stress, we do know that things like adrenaline um, seem to downregulate how our body produces things like stomach acid. Mm -hmm. So if you're very, very stressed, um, then it's likely that your digestive system would, would value some support and help. And um, that's reminded me because I take a digestive enzyme and, uh, and I always wondered, you know, Am I going to have a declining rate of acid as I get older? And, and if I continue to take the enzyme, it's like an enzyme complex, mm -hmm. does that mean my body at some point will stop producing its own stomach mm -hmm. acid? Because it's so used to me taking this yeah. supplement. Well, probably what you're taking, are you taking like amylase and lipase? Yes, and, yeah. Mix, yeah. So those are, those are pancreatic enzymes. So those are enzymes that actually aren't necessarily part of what the stomach does. So what you're taking are enzymes that help further down in the small intestine, which is where you're starting to break down individual components okay. of food. Um, things like some people take things like hydrochloric acid supplements to help with stomach acid, but that's something I'm quite cautious does, of does as a that, practitioner. Does hydrochloric acid, does that help break down all types of food? No. So what hydrochloric acid's job is to do is there's a few number one it's a really really strong acid so as a result we have a really thick mucus layer in our stomach to protect us from the acid you know if you're sick and your in your throat burns that's because of the acid that's mm. come up so it's actually a first line of defense so it's so acidic that if you're eating something that has bacteria in it you know you're hoping that you, if you've got good stomach acid production there's a protection mechanism there and also what it seems to do, or what it does, is it starts to denature or break down proteins. So, for example, if you took an egg as an experiment in a lab and, and put it in a solution of hydrochloric acid, you would see that the egg would change and start to look like it had been cooked. 
And that's actually where the protein structures of the egg are being um, digested and, 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 and manipulated to help with the digestion. So stomach acid is um, important for protein um, digestion specifically. But stomach acid can't... I could talk about this all day, so mm. if I'm getting boring, let me know. No, but, you're, not, um, you're not boring me. If you're eating something and you haven't chewed very well... Mm. Stomach acid cannot break through food. So if you've got a big piece of steak that you've like swallowed quite quickly, the hydrochloric acid is going to work on the outside surface of what it finds and starts to break it down, but it's not going to be able to sort of break it through it. So it's it can be harder, it, it, and that's more challenging further down the digestive tract. Oh, really? Is that why you say that you're quite cautious about using hydrochloric acid supplements well i'm cautious about using hydrochloric acid supplements just because i feel that it's an acid and we it's very very hard for us to really know there are some you know from a naturopathic point of view there are some tests that people talk about that you can do to test if you have low stomach acid but they are not that they're not tests that have any validity Mm. and they've not been um it's very hard to get a proper assessment on stomach acid requires quite a particular type of test that a gastroenterologist would do my my worry with people just taking stomach acid supplements or hydrochloric acid supplements without really knowing is that you know what if they are producing enough and what if that extra acid is going to cause some damage or what if there's a problem with their esophagus what if they have reflux and they have some inflammation or gastritis in their esophagus what if the stomach lining is not um, thick enough from a mucus point of view so I do have a bit of a problem with people just going and buying supplements without necessarily sure. knowing. Well, that's that's something actually that I'd really love to chat to you about um, and not just necessarily in terms of women over 40, but I do get a lot of questions from viewers and listeners to clear up the confusion over supplements. Mm. And it's also worth saying at this point that we're not giving out any medical advice here. With your health issues, please see your GP. Nicola's not prescribing anything for anyone. This is just an educational discussion. Uh, But supplements does really fascinate me because um, I have taken supplements in the past and there are so many different schools of thought and including between the guests I've had on Health Hackers Mm. some don't take any supplements others say they take their kind of essentials like vitamin Mm. D magnesium and fish oil Mm. and then there are others who are on an array of supplements Mm. different things Mm. um where do you stand on supplements okay I'm not I'm a fan of supplements in the right context and I think that um, especially if you think about the sort of people I tend to work with are not necessarily people who are feeling great so often um, there might need there might be some deficiencies so I'm a fan of testing where possible so I do quite a lot of blood testing to look for nutrient nutrient levels with clients Um, and then if I understand that there is a deficiency, then my job is to help assist that. And usually supplements is a way that can be really effective. But what I would do is give somebody a supplement program for a short period of time and then we would retest so that we know where we stand. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that there, there, is, there are some studies that have been done looking at supplements that have been quite alarming. Um, so, you know, high dose particularly of certain single compounds seem to to not always be that beneficial for health Mm. and I am a very cautious person because I do think a I'm not a doctor and b there's a lot we don't know so you can um 
you know, things like iron. Um, a lot of people supplement iron if they're feeling um, low in energy, but it has such a narrow therapeutic range. So if you're low in iron, you will feel rubbish. But if you have too much iron, that's actually damaging. So it's really, really important to know where you stand with your nutrients before you do take supplements. But there are other things like, you know, I'm a big fan of using things like bile acids um, at the moment, you know, because that's where the research that I'm doing at the moment is taking me. So what would that be? That's a supplement? That's a supplement. So it's not a nutritional supplement. That's not like a, a, a vitamin or a mineral. But if I've done a stool analysis test with somebody and we've identified that they've got high levels of fat in their stool... You know, sometimes giving them a bit of a helping hand, which is actually providing them with some bile acids, which your gallbladder would usually provide for you. Um, that can be, for a short period of time, that can be really, really helpful. And that can help somebody absorb the fats in their diet better. But it's about individual personalised nutrition. And it's about taking that person's um, case history, doing some testing and making sensible recommendations um, Okay, yeah, we've so got a, a question from a viewer. This is Eve on Facebook. Should a person eat less as they get older? Is this the reason we slowly and quietly, gradually put on weight and not notice until we see our summer holiday photos? <laughs> so should someone eat less as they get older? Well, it's difficult to say, isn't it? I think that the what I've identified with some people as they get older is their diet, their appetite naturally declines. Um it's a very, I can't answer that one way or the other, I don't think. I think well, that's taking, quite nice, really, because if there's not a general rule that you're telling yeah, us yeah. That, that we should all eat less, then that's quite positive for people who don't want to yeah, eat yeah, less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I find it really, really difficult to answer um, generic questions a lot of the time because, um, and a lot of the time I am saying to clients, I don't know. I don't mm. know the answer. And actually we don't know yet a lot of information. Um, so it's about understanding what's what's going on for that client. So for, for the lady that wrote in, you know, what else is going on with her life and how is food fitting into her life and what is she enjoying eating? And actually, is there is there more that she's eating? Is she eating more than she should be eating based on what her activity levels are or, um, you know, that kind of thing? I think the other thing to say, and this is, this is something I'm challenged with myself as I'm getting a bit older is that as we start to go through our 40s we do we are actually designed to put on a bit of weight why is that from a biological point of view well that's evolution yeah well that's because um before we transition through the menopause and become postmenopausal, we're producing the majority of our estrogen from our ovaries and they're part of our reproductive system. But as we become postmenopausal and after the menopause, we are not producing estrogen from our ovaries anymore. They, they've stopped functioning from a reproductive point of view in that way. So, um, but as I said earlier, estrogen is still really, really important for us. Our bones have receptors for estrogen. Our brain has receptors for estrogen. Um, estrogen is involved in the immune system. So our body still does need to produce estrogen. So what it does instead is it starts thinking, okay, at some point, these ovaries are going to stop making estrogen. So I need to find another way. And one of the other ways to do that is to produce estrogen from our fat stores. 
So that's why we might need that. That's right. But it's about where you put the weight on that's important. So if you're putting weight on around the middle, then that's actually indicating that there's something else going on metabolically that needs to be looked at because that's not so useful as a as a place for storing fat mm. what we should be putting on where we should be putting on our weight is around our bottom and our hips and i think the other thing that is it's really hard because we all well i <laughs> talk about myself starting to see this weight gain going on and i've never had to worry about weight before like i've never ever worried if you're about listening weight. to the podcast but, version you can't see nicola she's not at all no, overweight and I, but this is the perspective you see and this is the this is the important dialogue i think we should be having i've never worried before about my weight I've, if i feel like i've put on a little bit of weight i've just watched my diet for a couple of weeks by that i mean just stopped re- eating so much chocolate for example or something like that um and then everything goes back to normal but as i'm getting older that's not happening and i am and i am a little bit rounder than i was before but what i'm thinking to myself is you know nothing has changed with my lifestyle my exercise or my diet and i do think that this is part of my physiology and i kind of I need to embrace it a little bit and not and not push myself because if I push myself to try and lose weight at this point I'm possibly not helping myself when I do start to um, notice menopausal symptoms because you need that estrogen yes so embrace it <laughs> not that you have anything to embrace at the moment you're stunning and always always as slender as I remember you so let's talk a little bit about intolerances okay um, because I know you're very into gut health immunity and I just wonder, I feel like there's been a real rise in suspected intolerances or people who think I'm going to quit that food and that food because it's just not agreeing with me and I bet you have clients who come and see you and say, oh, I think I'm yes. intolerant to X, Y and Z. Yes, yeah. Now, given that there's no kind of gold standard accurate test for intolerances, how difficult does that make your job to try and figure out whether it is an intolerance and what really the intolerance is yeah if it is anything at all with them yeah okay so well that's definitely something I see a lot so people who suspect that something they're eating is not making them feel good um, and they don't know either they don't know what it is or they have a, a hunch about what it is or there could be multiple things that are a problem for them um now, an intolerance, actually, correctly speaking, is um, the lacking of an enzyme to digest something. So the classic is something like a lactose intolerance. And that is something that actually, you know, is part of your genetic makeup. So some people do not um, do well with dairy. And the sign of a lactose intolerance may be diarrhea or something after eating it. Um, and using um, enzymes such as the ones you you have can be very helpful because that's just increasing the amount of um, lactase enzymes to help digest the pro- uh, the proteins from the from the dairy, or just avoiding it altogether. So a doctor can diagnose for you if you have an intolerance. Um, you also have sensitivities, which is more what people are talking about when they talk about intolerances. But a sensitivity is this controversial um, and quite unclear area of immunology with regards to having a reaction to a food, but it's not an allergy. So an allergy is very explicit. You would notice symptoms immediately. They tend to be lifelong 
Um, and that's when you're talking about um, like a peanut allergy or something like that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Of which you have... To nuts, yeah. To nuts. So um, that's, that's a different immune response. So that's different. So a sensitivity involves a slightly different part of the immune system and different immune cells. But these, the controversy lies around the fact that these immune cells are things that we have to produce. They are actually part of a well-functioning immune system. And they help with something called oral tolerance, which is your body's immune system's ability to be able to take in and check a food and to give it clearance that it's okay with the immune system. So actually, these immune cells, which are referred to as IgG, they are important part of the immune system but for some reason some people seem to have elevated levels of these IgG immune cells to specific foods and that has led people to think is there a distinctive link here with the numbers of immune cells to this food and them having symptoms however then if you were to check two people uh, you might discover that they both have the same number of um IgG to that specific food but only one has symptoms so what's going on there so it's now moving further into looking at further down the immune system chain and there's a protein called complement that's produced as a second part of this immune reaction and that's that seems to govern inflammation and so looking at that is actually probably a more useful thing to do so I would look at complement with a client rather than IgG. Do you find that the symptoms of sensitivities are higher among women in their 40s and beyond? Well, what I'm seeing, the, the other thing probably to say is that what I say to clients when they think a food is not agreeing with them is also that you could have this sensitivity, but you could also be reacting actually to, because of the bacterias living in your small intestine potentially, that they're, they're bacterias that are supposed to live in your colon and they're not they're not dangerous bacterias, but for some people, these bacterias can start to, to live in the small intestine which, where they shouldn't really be. And these bacterias love eating our food. They really enjoy it and they thrive on, our, on the diets that we eat. And when they've eaten our food, they relax and release loads of gases. Right. And these gases can be very, very similar to the, the, the symptoms as a result of these gases can be very similar to that of a immune sensitivity so it's unpicking with somebody actually what is going on so you might think you've got an intolerance or a sensitivity when actually you've just got an abundance of bacteria that like to create a lot of wind yes yeah exactly but then is that a sensitivity but could that be a sensitivity still like oh i've got these bacteria and my gut microbiome again yeah well i think you know putting a name on it doesn't always really help does it I think it's just about knowing that there are some foods for some people that don't seem to agree with them but my job is rather than I I don't really subscribe to the whole taking foods out of the diet thing it's not really the way I work and I don't see that working for clients so what I would prefer to do is look at what's going on with the client and think how do we actually just restore balance with the digestive system, restore balance with the immune system so that this person can enjoy a wide variety of foods and not have to, to worry about feeling rubbish when they eat things? You know, that's, that's the way I would rather go. But to go back to like women over 40, I definitely do notice that one of the triggering points for them getting in touch is that they've had niggling digestive problems for years, they've felt that certain foods don't agree with them, and then something just changes and things 
you know, progress with speed, maybe they might start getting reflux or heartburn or more abdominal pains or, you know, the constipation that's plagued them for years is becoming worse. You know, that kind of thing. Um, When I spoke to you on the phone when we were arranging this podcast, we were talking about some of the annoyances within the nutrition sector today that that you've ended up having to unpick and deal with. So, for example, a client who'll come to see you after someone else who might have been a bit misguided has put them on a heavily restricted diet. And then you're the one who's got to convince this lady to start eating a more balanced diet again. So what I'd like to know from you is what... What is your biggest frustration? Is that the biggest frustration you have with the nutrition industry right now, that you're having to clean up the mess caused by some others who might be well-meaning but slightly misguided? Yeah, I think one of my frustrations is that um, there's so much focus on what we shouldn't be eating. And there are some really useful dietary tools out there that can be life-changing for some people. The biggest one that comes to my mind is the the low FODMAP diet. Mm -hmm. Now, that is um, a diet that can be extremely helpful for some people with digestive problems. But and this is a diet where you're you're cutting out certain saccharides. That's right. right. So it's certain types of carbohydrates from foods, um, and it's expressly to reduce the the um, the food that seems to be feeding these bacteria in the small intestine. Okay. So as a, as a consequence, you're taking away their food source. You're not necessarily dealing with the bacterias. You're just not. Um, feeding them so you're not dealing them with the with the um the aftermath of the gases so it's not necessarily getting to the root cause of the problem um but it but it can be really helpful for people with their symptoms but one of my issues is that the low fodmap diet is a dietetic tool that's taught to trained dietitians in a very particular way and it is it needs to be implemented correctly um, and the whole point of it is to monitor it and get the foods back into the diet. One of the things that I see is well-meaning people who have read a bit about the low FODMAP diet are just wheeling out, you know, you should, you should avoid these foods. Um, and not necessarily talking about how you then, sorry, we've oh, not moved now. Can I just... Actually, well, how, how exciting. I think, I I think, think the video better. looks fine. <laughs> myself with the light off podcast listeners the lights just went out you can uh, go and watch the video to see that dramatic moment uh, and do you know what though it is it has been 30 minutes we are up on time but i'd love you to finish what you were yeah, saying yeah, yeah, got, yeah. we're going to keep the lights up yeah, yeah. We'll end on otherwise a i can stand up and wave my hands around but um which is what i normally do if i'm on the phone in here and they go oh, I out quite, and, i quite like I the quite dark like it as well yeah <laughs> right um, yeah, you were um, saying about FODMAPs. So um, they've been, they've cut lots of foods cut, out. And they haven't really been given that direction about how do you make yourself have a, how do you then have a healthy, balanced diet that's going to help your your gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. That's going, because if you, if you cut foods out that are feeding bacteria in your small intestine that shouldn't be there, um, you're also influencing the lovely richness of the microbiome in the low part of the intestine that is really important. So that conversation doesn't seem to have happened a lot of the time. And the conversation doesn't seem to have happened around, you know, what is the right way for you to eat, to be happy and healthy, full up, satisfied, enjoy your food, not paranoid about what you're eating, not paranoid about looking for symptoms all of the time. 
that conversation doesn't seem to happen. So as a result, people are left and they might not then go back and see their practitioner for a while or if ever, but they remain on that diet. Um, And it's the same with, there's a whole host of other sorts of restrictive dietary regimes out there that I I think is is a bit of a, I, I do have concerns around that because also it's about people's relationships with food and people enjoying food and being happy and healthy about food. So really, if if you can give the body some gentle tools to be able to help itself, then you're much more likely to have a positive result with somebody. Let's end on a positive. What would be your top three foods to include in a diet for optimal health? And I know that you hate generic questions. Yeah, I know. And also, um, <laughs> three is really hard. <laughs> what if we went for, um, could you do two? I'd need more. Oh. I mean, no, let's, okay, oh. I, it's easy. Veggies. I can, I can do the top, uh, they'd have to be vegetables. Um, so number one would be, would be broccoli, okay? But you can make broccoli so tasty. You can add butter to it, salt and pepper. You can put... You can roast um, it. You can roast it. Mm. You can put lemon zest on top of it, olive oil, chilli flakes. You know, you can really make broccoli so amazing. broccoli would be number one. Beetroot. I love beetroot because it really, really helps with um, the processing, the liver's processing of things in the same way that broccoli might be slightly differently. But also, it's really good for constipation. So if you've got constipation, having like some beetroot every day could be really, really helpful. But also what I love about beetroot is you can have it sweet and savoury. So you can put it into sweet things. But you can also have it, so you can have it in a salad, you can roast it, you can, so it's very mm-hmm. adaptable. Oh, my third one. Gosh, this is a tough one, but maybe I'd go for asparagus, but it is seasonal. But um, asparagus has a lovely um, array of fibres in it that help your microbiome to be really happy. So that is a a lovely, lovely vegetable. Would you call those three your kind of superfoods or is that a cliche word? Well, they're super to me. They're not not particularly trendy or um, exciting, but but I... As you know, I love vegetables. Mm. So I and I think that, you know, um, and it's a shame because I wanted to talk to you about other things, but... Um, well, we'll have to do a follow-up yeah. episode. <laughs> um, where can people find you? Because I know your Instagram page is stunning. You've got to go and have a look at the pictures. Is it at Nicola Moore Nutrition? Nutrition, yes. At Nicola yeah. Moore Nutrition on Instagram. And um, yeah. you're on Twitter as well? I am, um, Nicola Moore NT. And you've got a Facebook page too? Yes, Nicola Moore Nutrition. Fantastic. Thank you, yes. Um, Nicola, thank you for today. Thank you. It's been lovely. And thank you for everybody for watching and listening. If you're watching on YouTube, go and hit subscribe and leave us a nice review if you want to. And if you're listening on iTunes, go and subscribe in your podcast app on your iPhone and then you'll get the next episode as soon as it drops. Bye-bye. Thank you.